Amen. Shows where our money goes when we put money in the offering plate, and I uh, can see the effect of that taking place. Good, good video. This morning I want to uh, speak on memorials in the Christian life, and uh, then before we finish, give a financial report uh, on the state of the church at the end of last year, where we are. And uh, as Pastor Fred said, we've got a lot of our ladies down at uh, the hotel for a convention, Women of the Word. And uh, some of the fathers with little kids uh, did not quite get the little kids up. Some came last night, Saturday night, with their kids. That was a good, good move on their part. And uh, so uh, we had a, kind of a small crowd. I didn't know if it was because of the convention or fathers having to get little kids up or if it was the fact that uh, Pastor Earl sent a letter out to everybody that I would be preaching on finances this morning. Uh, whatever it was, message is going to be a little different, but... Uh, I'm just happy to be able to, to speak to you. This weekend, as he said, is Pastor Darrell's birthday. So Leslie wanted to take Pastor Darrell away for the weekend and uh, celebrate. And if you know Pastor Darrell, he likes to celebrate his birthday. Usually it takes about a month uh, when we get all this done. And thank all of you who sent cards this past week, as Pastor Fred suggested last Sunday. Uh, let's review a little bit. Pastor Darrell's been preaching on vision 2000. Uh, to 2020, Vision 2020, having clear vision to see what God is doing in our lives. And this morning we want to share with what God is doing with the church here at Christian Life, which is His body, His church here on this earth. And uh, not only have 2020 vision so that we see clearly with the understanding of God's leading in our life, but also the year 2020 as he pointed out, it was just 10 years from now, the next decade, and the year will be 2020. And so in a vision, we want to ask, what does God have for store, in store for us? What's God got in mind for us as his church, say for the next 10 years? Can we really see clearly into what God has really got in store? The Bible says the Old Testament, without a vision, the people perish. Without a vision, uh, we're kind of lost or, or uh, what... We're in confusion without a direction. And can we project with God our walk with Him, starting now? Where are we going to be 10 years from now? That's why we need Vision 2020. So we see what God wants to do with us and with our family. And uh, I just want to review the last couple of messages to get started. Great messages that Pastor preached. First of all, about Abraham. Message of surrender as he laid Isaac on the altar in obedience to God. And we learned that vision includes obedience. It includes surrender. Even for us to have a vision of where God wants us to be has to become a place where we lay down things in our life and, and follow in obedience to God in our future walk. And last message, I really enjoyed the message on the 12 spies that Moses sent to spy out the land that God had, had promised. And the message there was that we might have spiritual mindset. If we're going to have vision, see the promise was fulfilled, we have to get on a wavelength, a spiritual mindset that God wants us to live in. And they carried grapes back. He described not little some little package of grapes you buy at Dominic's. These were on a pole, plus or grapes between two men as they walked back. But he pointed out the ten spies said, we were like grasshoppers in the sight of all these giants in the land. I've often said ten men came back as grasshoppers, Two came back as grape eaters. Amen? What are we going to be? 
Pastor Darrell pointed out the vision is also clouded by fear and terror of the unknown. Instead of the fruit and the blessing that God has in store, like the ten spies, it's so easy to only see the giants in our life. The walled cities that cannot be penetrated, no answer it seems like, and, and the impossibilities instead of the victories that God's going to bring in. See, we have to walk in faith. You may not see it now, but let's walk in faith, in obedience to what God asks, what God shows us. Because Philippians, Hebrews, we'll put it on the board here. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. I like that translation, New Living Translation. Faith is what? It's confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives assurance about things we can't see. Hey, 2020 envision? Uh, can we really see it? Faith gives us the assurance. Verse 2 says, through their faith, people in the old days earned a good reputation. A few verses later, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must believe that God exists and that he has a reward for those who sincerely seek him. That's what this series of messages, vision is about, that we might seek the Lord, that, that we can really have a God that exists. And we can begin to see what we cannot see. Abraham was called the father of faith. We see that in his life. Caleb and Joshua were men of faith who actually did believe what God said about the promised land. Gave a good report to coincide with what God has said. And um, as he's giving these messages, Pastor Darrell on 2020's vision, he asked me this week in his absence, if I would continue the message this weekend... Uh, specifically on the vision for our local church. I said, happy to, that's kind of my, uh, I enjoy that. And the vision that God gave for this church and how God is fulfilling his vision through us in this place, and you are all a part of that vision as we walk in obedient surrender like Abraham did. We walk with a spiritual mindset like Joshua and Caleb, two great messages to prepare the way. And he, so, so Pastor Darrell asked me if I would share, number one, where we've come from, uh, where we have been this past year, and the financial update from last year, 2009, into the future as we walk on trusting the Lord and living by faith. Uh, to do that, I would like to uh, bring this thought from God's Word, another Bible story that happened, the same thing with the spies going to land, only a generation later, when the people really finally did believed God and entered the land. Forty years later, they did enter in the promised land as God said. They made it just a generation late is all. But the faithful man who believed God did not perish in the wilderness, named Joshua, is the one who was able to lead the rest of the people into the fullness. He could see what the other ones couldn't see, and that's what we call faith. That story is found in Joshua, the third chapter, chapter 3 and 4 where the children of Israel crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land. Forty years later, a new generation. It was their children that were believing God, but not them. I think this shows how important it is for every decade for us to believe and walk in obedience to God. Hey, these people wasted four decades, 40 years, dying off in the wilderness. That's why it's probably important for us to look back the past 40 years as Pastor requested, and then look forward to the next 10 years, ahead to 2020, see where God is leading us, what the Spirit wants us to be doing as we march forward. 
See, in Joshua chapter 3, the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. The story is told another miracle of God. And it says there in chapter 3, Joshua told the people, verse 5, Purify yourself. Get ready, because tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Sometimes we get so busy just walking year after year, dying off, no hope, no future, don't know what, what's going to be happening. Hey, it's time to get ready, because tomorrow God is going to do great wonders. I'm not satisfied just to mark time for the next 10 years. Like, I'm, you know, I may not be here 10 years from now. That's a long time at my age. But, hey, tomorrow God's going to do wonders. God has wonders to accomplish in the future. And these people saw the miracle as they went in. He tells the story in chapter 3 of Joshua, verse 13. He said, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And as soon as their feet touch the water, notice, miracle, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the water will stand up like a wall. Just like it was the Red Sea when they came out of Egypt, God opened it, and they walked through and died dry ground. Same thing happened here. Let's continue the story in Joshua chapter 4. After they crossed, it said, Cross the Jordan River. The Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up in the place where you're going to be staying tonight. And verse 6 says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. Get 12 stones out of the river, one for each tribe, represent all the people, carrying them out, and where we stop tonight, we're going to set up a memorial in that place. Now why? What's the reason? Look at verse 21. It's the next generation. It's the future. Verse 21 of chapter 4, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did for the Red Sea when he dried it up till we had all crossed over. Verse 24, he did this. Why? So that the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. God was showing his mighty power, and God wants his story told even to the next generation so that we can see and know the power and the promises of God. It gives us faith when you see what God can do. We need to not just, I'm going to mark time. I, need, I believe we need to believe God that we're going to go forward. How many agree with me? Amen? We need to be going forward. I prepared a message, I think about two years ago, from this passage of Stones for Memorial. I, I really don't remember. I don't think I preached it here at Christian Life. But the title of that message was Looking Backward So That We Can See Forward. Look back to those stones so we can always see what God can be doing. And I want to establish this idea this morning that they establish a memorial, reminding them of the goodness and the faithfulness of God and perpetuated that story on to the next generation. This morning, let's look at back at some of the memorials to see who we are in Christ, who we are in the, in the church, in relationship to our mission, where God has called us. Look at our memorial. Uh, not just only to see our future, our destiny, 
but to see the promises of God so that we can live with a vision for what God is going to bring us into. That's what I say this morning. God doesn't want us just to mark time in life. doesn't want us to be discouraged because of the walled cities and the giants. I believe it's time we begin to see what the power of God can do and begin to experience it because God will work miracles and answer prayer. Hallelujah. I'm going to say amen myself. Amen. I want to look at the memorials here. In the church, we have memorials. One of the first ones I want to mention is the Lord's Supper. Communion, the table that we bring out uh, once a month as we have communion. It's a special memorial to remember Him. The great sacrifice that, that Christ made to purchase our salvation. That's what communion is. It's a memorial. He established it so we wouldn't forget. In fact, He said, this do in remembrance of me. What Jesus said. So we have a memorial of the cross. We sang about it this morning, taking the, the, the cup, taking the bread. Secondly, the church itself is a memorial to our head, to our founder, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who said, I will build my church. He is the rock upon which he said he's going to build the confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look with me at First uh, Peter 2, 4 to 6, and, and see how we are living stones for the house of God. So you are coming to Christ. What is Christ? He is the living cornerstone, not a dead rock. He is alive. We said he came out of the grave this morning. He is a living cornerstone. He's the thing that holds this thing together, his temple. He was rejected by the people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Look at verse 5. Not only is he a stone, verse 5, you also are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. Not not making a natural temple like they had in those days. Or it's not just the church building we're in. We are the church. We are the stones that God is putting together as his memorial. And what's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer a spiritual sacrifice that please God. We are the rocks that are here in this world as a testimony, a memorial to what God is doing among his people. He's the cornerstone and we are the rocks. Because he is ahead and we are following him. Just like the Israelites of old. From our old life of unbelief and slavery to the old life. We've been set free by his miraculous power this morning. To live in the fullness of deliverance. Turn our back into a life. Having victory. Hallelujah. For us here at Christian Life. I just want to refer quickly to the vision. Had been our building blocks. We have our points, uh, points of purpose. Uh, you see it in the bulletin every week. Put it on the screen just so you're familiar. Our calling as a church is to what? Number one, connect people to God. That's why we have church. Come to meet God, not to just have a social time. We come to actually be in the presence of God. Secondly, to connect people to people. We also want to realize we are a body and we share people's needs. We pray, we help one another. Thirdly, we connect people to their ministry. To help them find their place of belonging and service to the Lord so that we are part of his moving. And as we review our vision, how God has led us up this place, I want to refer to the four foundational stones that almost 40 years ago God gave us as, as I came in and we started having services. And these were the points that God gave me. Talk about vision. I think it bears repeating because we have never deviated from this calling and vision that we are to be, number one, a worshiping church. That's what we do. 
That's why we gather. That's why we sing before we have the message. That's why we spend time worshiping him in the congregation, a worshiping church. Secondly, we're a teaching church. That means we faithfully declare, preach, teach the unadulterated word of God to see people that come here growing into maturity as we're taught how to live for God, how we're to be his people. Thirdly, we're a caring church. That's a body of believers praying, as we mentioned before, carrying one another's burdens, as brothers and sisters, the family of God. And fourthly, we're a sharing church. These are our foundation stones. Sharing the gospel, first of all, by our individual witness, as we are Christians and lights in the world. But as a church, we're sharing the gospel here at home, as we say, and around the world. We always say, here at home and around the world, sending out workers, supporting missionaries locally and around the world. These are our memorial stones. These are the defining points of why we're here at Christian Life. This is what we are, why God has created, why God called us to a body. Uh, those are the foundation stones. But there are some other memorial stones that complete this picture that I just want to hint at this morning. Acts, the 10th chapter, is really interesting because God gave Peter a vision on the housetop that he was to go to other people that, that he didn't think was ready to receive it. But God had talked to a Roman centurion, not part of the Jewish nation, a Roman soldier. And God said in Acts 10, 4, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial to God. And we've seen the church as a memorial. We've seen communion as a memorial. But I think it's interesting that our prayers are a memorial to God. In the, in the tabernacle, there was an altar of incense, and the incense rose as the prayers of the people ascended into the very nostrils of, of God. Prayer is a vital part of our life and ministry here at CLC. That's connecting people to God. And God called prayer a memorial that we set up. He also told Cornelius that day that our gifts to the poor are a memorial. As we endeavor to do weekly and monthly here at Christian Life, that's being a caring church. Jesus considers what we do to one of the least of these as a memorial unto him. Then there's another memorial I want to refer to that Jesus taught in Matthew, the 14th chapter. If you want to turn to Matthew, chapter 14. And that is an interesting story about giving. And uh, in verse 3, he describes how there was a woman that came into the house where he was. And it says that she had a beautiful alabaster box of expensive perfume. It would cost her a year's wages at that time. That's expensive. And she broke that box open. And verse 3 said she poured the perfume on Jesus and that Jesus appreciated her gift. And he said it was anointing his body for burial because he was on the way to the cross. It was getting him ready. And that's what verse 3 tells the story. But in verse 4, some of the people at the table were really indignant. Why did she waste this expensive perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages, money given uh, to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But, she replied, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You know, you can have family members, people in the world, when it comes to giving, even expensive things, like, like she had uh, giving our money. You say, what in the world are you doing that? Don't you need your, don't give your money away. They criticize her. And they said, you, you always have the poor. You can always help them. But Jesus said, you will not always have me. I'm on my way to the cross. What she has done 
She has anointed my body for my burial. And I want you to look at verse 9 up there. Look at verse 9. Verily I say unto you, Jesus said, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of as a memorial. Her gift will be a memorial throughout the ages as the story is told. Do you know that our consecration, our sacrificial giving, I told you we got a message on finance before we're done, like she did, giving. That's a memorial. It's a memory point in our relationship with the Lord. Reminds me of the passage in Mark 12, verse 41 to 44, where Jesus was watching the people and their giving. Let me read it to you from the New International Version. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched the crowds as they dropped in their money. That's interesting. Aren't you glad that here at Christian Life, we don't have a pastor go up each aisle as we're taking the offering to check and see, did you give anything? How much did you give? Uh... If Jesus wants to do it, he can do it. He's Jesus, right? But he had a point he wanted to make. So we don't keep track uh, looking at what people give. But Jesus there, he saw many rich people put in large amounts. Verse 42, then a poor widow came in and dropped two small coins. Jesus called his disciples. Come here, guys. I, I want to tell you something. I tell you the truth. Verse 43, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave just a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has, giving, has given everything she has to live on. Jesus called that a memorial, her sacrifice, a testimony to the faithfulness of God and a memorial to our obedience to the word, even in our giving. And it's interesting to note that Jesus was watching. See, the memorial was not the amount that she gave. Not, oh, what a big gift. Probably all the others, Jesus said, gave more than she did. But Jesus noted the proportion of her giving. In other words, he knows what she had left over after she gave. And that brings me to the subject of finances this morning before this message is over. Pastor Darrell, as I said, mentioned, wanted me to share with you the financial picture of our giving that we've just concluded in 2009 and uh, entered in 2010. And uh, you want me to do it because that's kind of my responsibility now as the executive pastor. I don't keep a record. I don't look at what each person gives. I don't look at the giving of people individually. Just my uh, job to see that the finances come in and the bills are paid. And as executive pastor, I take care of finances and facilities, uh, missions, just keeping things operating. And about 10 days ago, most of you are aware that on April 15th, we had uh, tax day. Amen? How many know Jesus was asked one time, do we have to pay taxes? Wouldn't you like to bring up that question again and say, Lord, give me a way out, huh? And he answered, well, render unto Caesar, give to the government that which belongs to the government. That's in the natural, but give unto God the things that belong to God. That's in the spiritual. You take care of the natural, but you also have the spiritual part. And our church accounted uh, have gone over our finances for the past year as we do every uh, year has completed a report for 2009 and every year about this time we share that with the congregation and uh, we didn't want to call a separate meeting people come back for it we want to do it in this message this morning because we saw all these memorials giving is a memorial and I want to share that with you so I could call a message on giving or a financial report I would rather just call it participating in the blessing of the Lord building a memorial unto God 
Before I get into the actual finding, let me give you a few principles. Um, what's his name? I forgot his name now. Wrote a book a while back, How Then Shall We Live? I'd like to ask, how then should we live with our money? How then should we live in relationship to our finance? Principle number one with God is give, and it shall be given unto you. The reference is uh, Luke 6, 38, where it says that. Give, and it will be given unto you. Now, I know that uh, a lot of people on television and so on send me $1,000, send me some money, and it will come back to you. I want to say this morning, I don't believe this means if you put $20 in the offering, you're going to get 20 back or 100 back before the week's over. It means as we honor God with our substance, as we honor God with our material things, He will be more than faithful to give back blessings and all kinds of provision. I believe that with all of my heart. You say, what will it be like when God gives it back? Same verse, given it shall be given to you. Look at the rest of the verse. Wow. <clears throat> It'll come back to you pressed down. Shaking together, making room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Have you ever done that with like a thing of flour where you shake it and it goes down, you put more in, it runs over, spills all over you and so on. That's, he said, that's the way I'd like to take care of you with, if I can be your partner. Look at the conversation that God had between him and his people in the book of Malachi. Beginning with verse uh, 7 through 10 of chapter 3, Malachi 3, last book in the Old Testament. I just want to read the last phrase of verse 7. God wrote through the prophet, but you asked, how can we return to the Lord when we've never gone away? I could paraphrase that and say, what are you saying, God? Nothing wrong with me. I'm doing good. I like little Wyatt when he's born, he asked, how are you? I'm doing good. Always doing good. We're always doing good. Amen. Always doing good. Nothing wrong with me. See, we justify ourselves. i doing all my part. And, and it's almost like we don't understand. What are you talking about, God? So God's very blunt. Verse 8, he'll give you an example. Should people cheat God? I, I kind of like, uh, i just reading out of the NLT, New Living Translation. King James is a little stronger. It says, will a man rob God? I don't want to hear about robbing. So we'll use the word cheating. Should I cheat God? But God says, you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And then he answers, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that's due unto me. That, that word due just leaped out at me this morning. I'd never really noticed that before. In other words, our tithes and offerings are due the Lord. It's not something we, oh, I'm being magnanimous about. It's due God. And we don't take God's money. He says, you are under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. I think we've left God out of our nation, and I think we're paying the price. We need to honor God, even with our giving. So he says in verse 10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there be enough food or provision in my temple. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's army, the Lord of hosts, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. I think we could... Go along with that. We honor God. He opens the windows of heaven. And if you don't believe it, if you don't believe this works, I'll refer to the last phrase in verse 10. Try it, he said. Put me to the test. Just test God. He says, try me and see if it won't work. How will God bless when we honor him, when we obey by bringing our tithes into the storehouse? See, God's house is where the provision is brought into for the things for the work of God. How will he do it? He says, it will be pressed down. 
in, in the book in Matthew. So we make more room for it. Malachi says in verse 11, he will rebuke the devourer. That's what's been eating up your prophets. I'll rebuke that. I'm going to open the windows of heaven. Hallelujah. I want to live that way. I want to pour it out a blessing upon us that there won't be room enough to receive it. I just want to live in that kind of blessing. So I'll tell you this morning, you cannot outdo God. You cannot outdo God. Hey, I may not get all the money back dollar for dollar that I give, but I am blessed beyond measure because God is my provider, takes care of us and our family, and we have agreement, God and I. I will honor God faithfully and consistently, and he'll take care of me, so I don't have to worry about it. Hallelujah. How do we give? Without measure. Another place says generously, consistently. Like the verse says, hilariously. Get happy. I think we should say, we're going to take up an offering. Everybody should start clapping. Hallelujah. I don't know how that would go over, but it's interesting. How do we give without measure? How do we receive? Pressed down, shaken together, windows of heaven open. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, where do we live? We live in the land of promise, standing on the promises of God, land flowing with figuratively milk and honey. That is the provision. What was the first principle? Give and it shall be given back to you. The last phrase of that verse says, that's Luke 6:38. the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The amount you give will determine how much God can bless you, and, and it comes back to you. And that leads me to the second principle, which is the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. Right down here, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Not on the screen, because I just added this last night as I was looking this over. What's the scriptural principle of sowing and reaping? 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds gets a small crop. Amen? You plant three kernels of corn. I hope you get three stalks of corn. I hope each one does something. But the one who plants generously gets a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I felt as I read I should stop say this morning. I don't want you, even when we take up an offering, give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I don't. You say, well, you're sure putting pressure on us this morning. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I don't want you to give because you're under pressure. I want you to give because you want the windows of heaven open, because you want to be in relationship with God. That, and we realize what the amount we give us is what comes back. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God will generously provide for all of your needs. That's what I'm talking about. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Very interesting. Uh, I thought of it. I was going to illustrate that, and I didn't have the nerve to do it. But on our, our garage, somehow we have a great big old scoop shovel with a broken handle on it. I don't know where it came from. It's all rusty. I thought, I should bring that this morning and say, now you can you know, give... Out of a shovel, or I could bring a spoon and say, or you can give out of a tablespoon. And you will get back proportionally. You want a shovel blessing? Shovel it in. You want a teaspoon blessing? Buy a cup of tea and put the sugar in it. Amen. I'm just, never mind. Okay, give generously. Amen. There's a third principle, and that is the principle of first fruits in God's economy. First fruits means 
The first of everything belongs to God. In the Old Testament, it's very important. The firstborn, the firstborn, the first one in the family, you gave that to God. It's a symbol that your whole family belonged to God. That's why I saw about Malachi, the first of what you produce or what you earn. We're not in an agricultural uh, economy today. What you earn, the first of your paycheck, your salary, belongs to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says on the first day of the week. You'd be surprised how many times the Bible says first. 1 Corinthians 16, why are we worshiping on Sunday morning, the first day of the week? The Bible says on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by and store. In other translations, put aside a portion of the money you've earned. On the first day of the week, you should set aside. Now, this is not something that's hard for me. Um, that's hard for some of you, maybe. Say, well, I don't know about that. Why should I take the first part of my paycheck? Hey, I just learned it. When I was a kid, my parents had a little jar up in the, in the uh, cupboard in the kitchen where the coffee cups were. When my dad got paid, 10% came out and went in a jar. It didn't even go in his pocket. It went in a jar. The first thing belonged to God. And every Sunday morning before we would go, we get the tithe jar. Sign on a tithe jar. Get the tithe jar out. And he would give each one of us, the kids, a dollar out of that so we could put some in because we didn't have anything, but we wanted to give. And then he would put the money in. He earned it that week, and on the money he earned, that went to him. That wasn't his. It belonged to God. And that's why we bring our offerings on the first Sunday of the week to the Lord because the first belongs to God. That's a principle of the kingdom of God. First principle up here, third principle. First of every, literally, it's not mine. God gave it to me. God gave me everything I have. And he asked that I recognize that by giving him the first of everything we have, what we are, what we receive. See, it all belongs to God. You know what the neat part is? He lets us keep 90% of it. Isn't that wonderful? For us to live on. Well, that's a good deal. He gives the income. You say, no, he doesn't. The company writes my check. How'd you get the job? Where'd you get the brains to do the job? Where'd you get the education? How'd you get into that school? How'd you pay for the tuition? Do you realize God directs our path through life? And everything we have, it can go in a moment. God's goodness is not what only leads us to repentance, but leads us to his blessing. And we have it because he blessed us. And he only asked for a token back to him. We keep the rest. I just want to encourage everybody, and we got a lot of tithing people in our church. How would we keep going if we didn't? I want to say, God bless you who are tithing. But I also would like to enlist those who have not yet started tithing to honor God. I've heard people all my life say, well, I can't afford to tithe, especially in these days. My job, I know all the, the things on the prayer request. I can't afford to tithe. You know, I want to say, I can't afford not to tithe. I can afford not to tithe with all these promises that I believe are mine as I possess the promise that he has provided. I can't afford not to tithe. You say, well, what is tithing? I'm going to have to hurry here uh, before I get done. Uh, that means 10% belongs to God. It's not mine. And personally, I refuse to rob it. I'm not going to take God's money for me to live on. It's not Mine. The first 10% belongs to God. And that's what the tithe is. Actually, it means 10%. People, uh, I've heard people say, well, I'll start, I can't do 10%. I'm going to start with 5%. 5% of 
and I, I'm glad they want to give. But hey, 5% is not a tithe. It's not 10%. 10% can't be done with 5%. It's not 10-5. It's not, God said, give me 5 slash 10, 3 slash 10. The word means 10%. We're going to tithe. We give 10%. We keep 90% for us to pay our bills with. And it's, never, it's not too complicated, is it? And uh, that's a good deal. Um, I thank God that we have his provision for us. You know what? Something that Jerry and I have never said in our life. Never have we said on a Sunday morning when we got up, uh, are we going to tie this week? She's laughing when I say, <laughs> you know, that'd be the stupidest thing I could ever say. Are we going to tie this week? It's been a rough week. Not even a question. Because I don't feel, I don't figure our budget on 100%. I figure our budget on 90%. That's our money. That's what we work with. And the other 10% uh, is God. And I'll say, we believe it, practice it, and he's never failed us yet. Hey, I really have to move on to the closing. So I just want to give you the financial picture of the church, uh, even in this time of recession. And I want to show you this morning how the recession has affected our church. And uh, I'll tell you, I want to know, I want you to know that I know there are people out of work. Say, man, I even hate to see you preaching this. I'd like to do something, but I can't. I see the request for jobs, for more hours, for a need for a raise. I can't meet my bills and all that. And I want to tell you, I really feel, I read them over every week. I really do. And I feel the needs and what we're going through. But I also want to say, I know there's no recession with God. Recession is down here. Now I'm part of his kingdom. I want to tell you, the windows of heaven are not barricaded. God can open anytime he wants. He can still rebuke the devourer. See, God can rebuke the things that eating up. It says one place in the Old Testament, when we don't honor God, it's like we put our money into a bag with holes in it. You put it in, but it's not there. It, it somehow leaks out. But when God rebukes the devourer, he can make our money and, and his provision go farther than it could ever go by itself. We need to trust him. We need to be faithful. And I want to assure you this morning that God is faithful. Let me share the financial report. And uh, I got bad news and I got good news. I'll start with the bad news. Our giving is down. Uh, the good news is we're trusting God. And we want to be faithful. End of my sermon. Okay, you can, no, don't go yet. Uh, we've really said very little about it because we don't want to be negative. We're taking up offerings. But uh, giving began to go down a number of years ago. Back in 2006, 2007, it started tripling off. Uh, but then it would pick up. There would always be some large gifts toward the end of the year that would make up the difference. So we were doing all right. And every year we would close in the black. But 2008, the giving was noticeably down. I mean, I'm talking about almost a third down. Our budget is up here. And the giving was down here. But it never picked up in 2008 with the large gifts or anything to, to, at the end of the year. So in closing 2008, I want to tell you, we were here with a big deficit. The biggest deficit I've ever, uh, since I've been here. Because we as a church were operating on a budget. The expenses were planned out. We expected what we have to pay. Uh, somehow it had to be taken care of. 
but the reality really hit by the end of the year. Here we are, the offering going down, the expenses are still the same. It didn't level off by the end of the year. And when we got the financial report at the end of the year, we were thousands of dollars in the red with unpaid bills as we started 2009. Never happened before, but we hadn't been in that kind of recession since the Depression. And we felt it in the giving. Um, before you think too negative, let me just say, again, I want to say, there are many people in our church who have tithed consistently right on through the recession. They've tithed through the year. It's just a habit with them. People have been faithful with their commitment and giving to the Lord, or we would have been in a lot worse shape. And I want to thank all of the people who have given, even sacrificially, they've taken and honored God with their finance so they could work and go forward. But going back to the previous year, we saw what's happened. Number one, drastic decline in giving because of the times, I'm sure. But the budget and the expenses kept right on rolling because those were all predetermined. We had a certain number of staff. We have salaries you have to meet. We have utilities. Uh, ComEd, NICOR Gas are going to send their bills every month. You know that? They don't say, well, you're a nice church. We'll let it slip this month. They don't have that spirit. Um, you upkeep on a building. Things break. Uh, snow removal, you, you wouldn't believe how much it costs to get rid of snow in the wintertime. Pray we don't have any more snow. <laughs> the repairs, all the departments, the, the various groups of ministry expenses, missions, our giving to the harvest and our missions at church, expenses right, went right on without, in spite of recession. And when we really looked at how serious the situation was, we took extreme measures. When we got that financial report, we went on what I call an austerity program. We sacrificed more than we've ever done before. You say, well, what did you do? How'd you get over that? Well, number one, we were sorry, but some staff had to be laid off. Other staff people actually cut their salary, went without pay, believing this is what God wanted them to do because they loved the church. The repair and the maintenance was done mostly in-house. Uh, by that, I should say mainly by Pastor Fred and the men that he enlisted, because he has all the tools and the skills, and he can get in and fix almost anything. I appreciate it. Uh, we went over all of the services, the vendors. We cut out at what wasn't absolutely necessary. We became very utility conscious, conserving lights and heat and air conditioning, monitoring thermostats. We looked for other ways to cut money and save. All the time, believing God for a miracle that God would provide to help. And there's four ways. All of them start with S. Put them on the screen. Number one, we turn this around by sacrifice. Sacrifice by areas of ministry and sacrifice by the staff. And I want to just say thank you. Secondly, by saving on everything. We saved on utilities, expenses. You wouldn't believe the shopping for bargains. Uh, we send Jerry Alexi and Jerry Merrill out every Thursday just to shop for bargains so we can keep eating on Sunday here. Uh, no new buying, just the essentials. Number three, third S is salary. We cut out all the extras. We just maintained uh, freeze on all expansion. And number four, the fourth S was supplication. We called on God to help. God would give us wisdom in what we're doing. And I want to report a great victory to you this morning. I want to show you uh, how we were. I don't know if my, help me, uh, Melanie, I don't know if the slides go in order, but let's look at the debt at the end of 2008. We had outstanding bills December 31st, 
Can you look at that? Our debt at the beginning of this year, uh, of 2009 was 78000 That's how much the, living, the, the giving was below what the budget was. I about had a heart attack. Never seen that. How serious can you get? I almost said, Pastor Darrell, take the church. I'm heading to Iowa. Uh, but no, I had to stay here. 78000 I can't leave that way. And that, that's how much we were in debt. But by the close of the year, two, December 31st, 2009, we were zero amount in debt. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All the posted bills were paid by the end of the year, and I consider that one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen in my ministry. How can you do that? By sacrifice, austerity, uh, a program, we made up the deficit of the previous years and had all the bills paid at the end of 2009 to start this year. And I want to say, hallelujah. Now, natural question you have, well, how did we do that? How did sacrifice and saving makes up this difference? Just briefly, I'm just going to hurry through this. By salaries, we cut actually 38000 off of what we owed. By operating expenses, we cut 21000 We cut back. That's cutting back. Because we had left salaries, we had left payroll tax. We saved eleven, saved eleven thousand eight hundred dollars. Utilities, watching thermostats, being careful, changing light bulbs, we actually saved eight thousand five hundred dollars. You know, it's not a hundred dollars a month, but I mean a thousand dollars a month, but it's eight thousand. Repairs and supply maintenance. I talk about Pastor Fred doing uh, three thousand five hundred. We saved repair and maintenance, legal and professional fees. Um, we say $5,000 just on some of the legal and professional things we've done. And I don't want to look up because I would look back at our attorneys sitting back there and say, why did you cut out $5,000 when I was helping you to get that done? I'm kidding. Uh, but, hey, we didn't have to. You know, God rebuked the devourer. We didn't have those issues come up. And God protected us. Church departments and ministry. You know what happened? I don't know if you've noticed, they've all been paying their own way as they go. Young people spent twice as much in 09 as they did in 08, but they've had their fundraisers, so they raised the money. Men and women's ministry bought their own books. Things have happened. Children's ministry have raised money, so on. So they've raised their own money. Publicity and graphics. We began to do a lot of it in-house rather than send it out. We saved $4,000. So when the total is done, we saved $110,000 in 2009. You can clap again if you want to. $110,000 were saved. Hallelujah. You know what that does? $110,000. That made up the $78,000 we were behind, plus the income in 2009 was $35,000 less than it had been in 2008. We made up the $35,000 that didn't come into the offering, as well as paid up the $78,000, and God Helps us, helped us as we seriously attacked this thing. And that debt of 2008 was, released, re, re, was erased, and the difference were made up in the offering. I just want to give God thanks this morning. Hallelujah. Amen? God's plan worked. We give God praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, I want to see if all of God's people tithe. And faithfully, uh, from their substance provision they've given to us, you know, there would be no lack individually. This year, already we've had one quarter, four months back, 
And again, our expenses are about $35,000 more than what is coming with all these cuts. I don't know how we can keep cutting, so we're going to have to give more. $35,000, that's a lot. That's only about $2,000 a week. Uh, Good-sized crowd, if people would, would give, that could easily be met. We were making more than that before the recession. So I believe that God wants us who are committed and faithful to him to step up and check out our commitment and see what we can do. What does God want us to do now? Because I don't want ever come to the end of a year again with a deficit like that. I would have white hair if that happened. Don't do that to me. I know God's plan works. His provision is there. I do have to say one thing. You notice in all that list, I did not say anything about missions being cut. Out of all this, we did not cut back on any promised support to a missionary. Somebody's on the field, either here at home or around the world. We have been faithful to what we promised. If we said this is what you're going to get, I have seen missionaries on the field where that didn't happen. And churches said, well, we don't have any more money. Can't send you more. And they're stuck in a foreign country. Hey, we're going to be there with Matt and Lena when they go. We're going to be there with John and Marge and, and Paul and Eileen and the different ones here at home and around the world. And so we've been faithful to what we promised to our missionary outreach, and we believe that God will be faithful to us for what he promised. Amen? And let me just caution you in closing this morning in case uh, you say, wow, they got everything paid up last year. Uh, CLC doesn't need my tithes and offerings. You know, we give to God, not to the church. We don't analyze, does God need my money or not? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He could, you know, kill a couple of cows and make up the difference. He, he, he owns everything. So that, uh, it, it is tight. Expenses still have to be made, and there's still more that needs to come in weekly. So we're asking everyone this morning, and I wish everybody was here to hear that, to actually begin, continue to tithe faithfully, because we have to see an increase to continue the ministry that God has called us to do here. God's not called us to a spirit of fear. Not going to be one of those ten, ten, ten spies. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of faith. And we're not going to die in unbelief out in a wilderness of poverty. We're going to trust God to supply all of our needs according to his riches and bring us into the fullness of his blessing just like he has promised. And we're going to see his promises fulfilled. Amen? When they attacked Nehemiah, when he was trying to rebuild the, the church of God, the city of God, you know what he said? I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. I can't stop a great work that God's given me to do. We're going to keep on going. That's part of the kingdom of God. And uh, on behalf of Pastor Darrell this morning, the church staff, uh, the elders of the church, the pastor's council, I just want to thank all of you for making this possible. 2009, we entered a year that was not looking good. But I just want to thank you for your commitment to the church, your commitment to the Lord that we made this possible. And, and we really do. We appreciate you. We love you. And uh, God's going to do great and mighty things as we move on. So I just want to thank you. Thank you all. And uh, we're going to have a word of prayer in a minute. And uh, I want you to really pray. Consider. Maybe you haven't tied. Maybe you haven't given much. You've needed the money. But I want you to consider and plan accordingly to be a regular part of helping us keep the ministry going for the kingdom of God that God's planned here in the north with. I want God to flourish the work. And let's pray and ask God to help us make a commitment, make a memorial that we can look back to this day and say, hey, I decided I'm going to be a part of 
supporting God's kingdom, even in my giving. Thank you all for being faithful. But I want to say God has been the most faithful. He's blessed our church all these years. I'm so glad that, that all these people are here that God sent to us. We're seeking to please God, to live for him. Let's go forward and possess the land that he's given to us. Amen? Father, in Jesus' name, I just pray that you'll take remarks about money. Help us to see that this is a memory in your sight. Lord, help us not to take your money for ourselves. But I pray, God, we'll honor you, not in word only, but in deed. I pray, oh God, that you're going to lay a burden on people's hearts. Say, I need to pick up the work. Help us, Lord, to live on the 90%. I just pray, God, that you will be honored by our consecration this morning as we give a blessing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know that some of you are visiting here this morning. If this was what you expected when you came to church, I apologize. But we'd have to share the finances. And uh, I don't want to keep people any longer, especially if we need to go. But I'm going to invite anybody who wants to. To just stay another few minutes, I have to leave and get out to Church in the Hills in about five or ten minutes. Uh, so if you do want to, come down to the front over here. And uh, I would be like to, if you would like to receive a copy of the cash uh, receipts and disbursements for 2009 for uh, those 12 months. I have a copy here. Uh, as much time as I have, I'll go over line by line and just show you where we've been up, where we've been down, what God has done. And uh, quickly share you uh, that with you before I leave for the, the other campus. Uh, would you stand with me? And uh, let's receive the blessing of the Lord. God has blessed us. We are his people. And as Pastor Darrell does every Sunday, I want to give you the ancient blessing from uh, Moses' day when he said to them, to his people, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. And everybody said amen. amen. Father, I pray that you'll take the message this morning. Lord, if the financial thing didn't fit some people, uh, visitors and so on, I just pray you'll help them to concentrate on being the memorial to you in the church. The memorial of our prayer. The memorial of our helping the poor. The memorial of our honoring you with our substance. I thank you, Lord, for the mercies that we are built upon the rock and you didn't let our church go down this past year but you provided for us and i pray you're going to provide for 2010 give us vision for 2020 that we might walk in the fullness of your blessing now lord i pray for an increase may people see this week the rebuking of the devourer as you cause what they have to last longer to keep going thank you lord that you are good and we bless your holy name in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for putting up with me on this. Anybody wants to just talk about finances, let me give you a cast experience. Come over.